0: I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. these final verses of Hebrews describe four facets of church life. Notice in verse 22, the preacher addresses not the world, but the brothers. I appeal to you, he says, brothers. Now that word is one that refers to members of a family. They may be male, they may be male or female, and so the word can be translated Both as brothers or brothers and sisters. But however we translate it, however your Bible has it, the point is that he is writing to people who are the family of God. And he includes himself with them. He is appealing to the men and women who have been born again into the family of God, they have a common, true father. So together they are a household, not by mere biological birth, but by the rebirth from the Spirit of Christ. They are a family of saints, called out ones, a church, the Church of God. And of course, households live together, don't they? As saints live the spiritual life together there are things they need to remember in order to properly honor god and one another and these four verses contain four examples of how a church how a family should function now these aren't exhaustive of course these aren't all of the ways that god's family members should relate to each other but they are genuine elements that we can expect to find in our life together as well So let's take a look at these four things. We will spend almost all of our time on the first one, and then we'll move very quickly through Numbers 2, 3, and 4. All right? The first is about brotherly forbearance. Brotherly forbearance. This is verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you, briefly. This verse is a call to willingly listen to the sermon that is the book we call Hebrews. In other words, the author, the preacher, the writer appeals to them to hear his word of exhortation, he calls it. Now let's take that apart. To bear with someone or something assumes that effort is necessary. The word can be translated to endure patiently or just to put up with. So the author knows he's asking them to do something that takes work or perhaps isn't always pleasant. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.12 says that when facing persecution, Persecution, we endure. It's the same word. We bear up under it. We keep going. We don't stop professing Christ. We bear with the trouble. Well, here, he doesn't urge them to bear with the trouble. He urges them to bear up under his teaching, what he calls a word of exhortation. Now, That phrase, a word of exhortation, is the standard language for what we call a sermon or a homily. So it is in Acts 13, 15. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, that is, Paul and Barnabas, and they said this, brothers, if you have a, here's our phrase, word of encouragement word of exhortation for the people, say it. Well, what follows? A fairly lengthy sermon by Paul. We see the same pattern in 1 Timothy 4.13, where Paul requires Timothy, when he's in the household of God, when he's with the brothers, when they're assembled in church, to, quote, Devote himself to the public reading of Scripture and to the exhortation, to the sermon, to the explanation about the Bible portion that's been read. His point is, Timothy, read the Scripture and apply it. That's what a sermon is. It's the reading of Scripture and the applying of it. It's a word of exhortation. It's this phrase here at the end of the book that is why I have, throughout all of these sermons, been calling this book of Hebrews a sermon, because the inspired author calls it that here. Yes, it's a letter, he's written it down, but it quite obviously, both from this and just from the study of it, it's obviously a sermon. So, Hebrews is a sermon turned into a letter. Now, what's the character of these words? He says, oh, bear with my word. Well, why do I have to bear with it? (laughs) Why are you urging me to do that? What's the point? Well, the character of these words is, as we've already mentioned multiple times, it's an exhortation. Preaching is an exhorting. In fact, there have been times in the history of the church, especially in the revival times in England and Wales, where the preachers were actually called exhorters. That was the normal term for them. This word in its its Greek original has a broad range of meaning. Depending on the context, it includes both reprimand and encouragement. It may include persuasion about their sins or about dangers. Exhortation may have entreaty or consolation or commendation, that is approval. It may warn, it may comfort. And if you think back through the book of Hebrews, you'll recognize that this word of exhortation has all of those things. At times, it has been frightening in its directness and in some of the warnings. At other times, the glories of Jesus Christ have shone brightly. Hope has entered our hearts from his picture. At other times, assurance and comfort are our portion. And all of that has been done in brotherly love for their ultimate spiritual good. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my sermon. Bear with my word of exhortation. But because Hebrews, because this word includes some hard words, some difficult concepts, some things that maybe some of the hearers didn't want to think about or have to face, he exhorts them to bear with it. He does this in a way that almost seems humorous. It's not obvious perhaps in in most of your English translations, but the word for appeal, I appeal to you, and the word for exhortation, it's the same word. So what he's doing is he's saying, I'm exhorting you to hear my exhortation. I've just exhorted you and now I'm going to do it again. If you're having trouble with it, the answer to you having trouble with it is for me to exhort you yet again. This is reminiscent of chapter 5. You may remember he says, um, you know, I have a whole lot of things I want to tell you. I need to expand on this exhortation, but you're really not ready to hear it. Uh, you should be more mature. You should know this and this, and I ought to be able to talk about that, and, and, and yet I can't. So how will we move forward? How will we go past these elementary things? And, and the answer is by going by going forward and teaching them the the heavier, the deeper, the greater things. The answer to needing exhortation and and wilting under it is exhortation. The, The remedy for not doing well with sound teaching is to receive more sound teaching. It's not to use a different trick. It's not to entertain yourself. It's not to ignore what was said. It's to face the truth of the word of God. Now, of course, our author here, our preacher, isn't exhorting them to hear his exhortation because he thought they weren't listening or wouldn't listen. But he still appeals to them to hear his appeal, his sermon. The answer to challenging or unwelcome preaching isn't to quit preaching or to quit listening to it. It's for the preacher to keep going and the hearers to bear with it, to work harder to profit from it. Now I trust that I never tickle your ears with false teaching. And I do try to make the word accessible and understandable to you all. But no doubt at times I fail or perhaps I succeed, but the word is still challenging or it's challenging to you because of peculiar circumstances in your life. Maybe the word is unpleasant to you. (laughs) Maybe you are thinking, well, how dare you say that to me? But brothers and sisters, we must bear with it if we are to profit from it at all, we must put up with the truth. We must press on. We must do what Jesus said, which was, take heed how you hear. Be very careful how you hear the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. So let me imitate the preacher here and challenge you to bear with the preaching of the word of God in this place. Notice finally on this first point that the preacher gives a reason why they should bear with the sermon. It's because he had written to them briefly. This letter can be read, or we might say the letter could be preached, in about an hour. So he asked them to put up with it because it was an easy thing. It's not that long, he's saying. It's not that hard. And given the value that is meant to come from the preaching of the word of God, which is eternal life. Surely, it's worth that kind of effort. The preacher wasn't like Paul at Troas, who on the Lord's day, prolonged his speech until midnight. And then you'll remember the young boy, Eutychus, falls asleep and he falls down apparently dies after that third floor fall, and he's he's raised back up to life. What does Paul do? Paul apparently didn't get the message. He didn't stop. He kept teaching the whole rest of the morning. It was after midnight. Until it was daybreak, he kept teaching. Well, that's perfectly fine. But this author is saying, this is a short letter. This is a short sermon. I haven't kept you up all day, all night, and the following morning. So put up with it, listen to me. Well, I have two uses, and again, we will be here a little while, but our first use is this. Obviously there is here a call to willingly and intentionally listen to the preaching of the word of God. There is here a call to willingly and very intentionally listen to the word of God. Brothers and sisters, bear with the sermons that are preached in this place, whether by me or other men. Make up your mind that you are not only going to listen when it is your favorite topic or your preferred preacher or it has a certain kind of tone or style, but all of the time when the speaker isn't polished, when he's weak in body, when he's hard to follow, bear with him. Put up with it. When he goes long, or you hear something unpleasant to your remaining sin, bear with it. I exhort you, hear these exhortations. Why? Well, for two reasons. One, it really isn't that long or hard. Uh, My sermons aren't an hour anymore. They might have been four years ago, but they aren't anymore. They're about 35 minutes. If they could do an hour, you can do 35 minutes, all right? Or 40, or whatever, you can do it. But two, Because the preaching of the Word of God is the primary means whereby sinners are converted and saints are strengthened in grace. There simply is nothing more valuable to spend your hour on than this. And it has nothing to do with the human preacher. Nothing. Nothing. It is the Word of God. This is the main point of the book of Hebrews. We've said that several times throughout our teachings, But this is the main message of the book of Hebrews, that men are called to hear God when his word is read and taught. There are many examples of it in the book. We will rehearse them in just a moment, very quickly. But if we are to be saved in the end... We must continue to hear God speak in His Word. Salvation begins by hearing God. And we persevere in salvation as we continue to hear God. Hebrews 1, 2. Here they come. Hebrews 1, 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. Hebrews 3, 7, before quoting Psalm 95 Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, not said, not past tense, although that's true, says right now, when the word of God is read and preached, the Holy Spirit is speaking. Do you want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Hear the word of God. Hebrews 3, seven. as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrews 4.2, for good news came to us just as to them. You see, God is still speaking in the reading and preaching of the word of God. But the message they heard didn't benefit them because they were not united by them with those who listened. Hebrews 9.8, by this the Holy Spirit indicates, again, present tense, he's still speaking, he's still training. He's still convincing, convicting, converting. Hebrews 10:15, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us, for after saying, "This is the covenant I will make with them," then He adds, "I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more." Hebrews 12: 24 and 25. It's not only the Father who speaks, it's not only the Holy Spirit who speaks. Jesus speaks. The Son of God speaks in the Word of God. Jesus speaks a better word than Abel. So do not refuse him who is speaking. Verse 25. Jesus is speaking right now. This is why Protestant churches have historically said the right preaching of the Word of God is the word of God not because the men the <coughs> weak sinful men who bring it are gods in some way no but because God inhabits his word mm-hmm. he lives in his, his word and when it comes it comes in his power or not all depends on him this is why sometimes we pray oh God preach a better sermon than I'm about to preach. This is not just some fanatical reformed view. This is simply what our Bible tells us. That the word of God is his word, not not ours. And it stays his word even after it's written down, and even when it's imperfectly taught and proclaimed. Amazing. Amazing. So preaching is not to be despised. It is to be born with, because it's God's channel of life. Now, if this is true, then brothers and sisters, you and I surely ought to be praying for the preaching We ought to prepare to receive it. If we know what the scripture is ahead of time, we ought to read it. We ought to meditate on it. We ought to get enough rest. We ought to come on time. We ought to be alert. Do that with caffeine. Do that any way you need to, but be be ready to be alert. Then when the word comes, value it and be ready and willing to work at listening. Bear with it. It's really not entertainment. So it is more work than the television or the movie. You have to engage if you're going to profit. Faith needs to be exercised. Think, ask questions, apply it to yourself. Try to store it away in your memory and in your heart. Ask God to fix it permanently into your soul so that you can live it out. That's the goal of exhortation. You see, exhortation, that word, isn't a description of someone trying to teach you intellectual truth. There's some in there, but the point of exhortation is for you and me to change. It's to be moved to become newer People, according to the truth and then to live that out. So the point of a sermon is for you to become wise, to have livable knowledge that's pleasing to God. So repeat the sermon to yourself. Take notes or don't take notes, whichever works best for you. Talk about it over the noon meal, or supper, or Tuesday night, or whenever you get together. Hear the message again off of the website later in the week. I know some of you do this. Some of you listen to the message two and three times. You say, Pastor, I, I don't really get much of it the first time. I'm a little slow. I'm a little. Oh, brother and sister, if you will listen to it two or three times within, within a short time, you will start to outstrip to run far ahead of most of your brothers and sisters who doze and never think of it again and don't come prepared. When faith works like that, you will profit. That's that's how God's made us. And then, of course, live it out. Because the word of exhortation will bear fruit unto eternal life. You know, this is why you should be training your children to listen to sermons. Well, they're not saved yet. Well, they're awfully young. Well, they can't. Okay, but start. Start. Why? Because of the great value of the Word of God. It's got nothing to do with me, it's not about the preacher. It's not about his gifts or his lack of them. It's about the surpassing value of the word of God proclaimed in truth to your children. So start early. Make listening a priority for them by your example. In other words, how you listen, and by training them. You know, some of you have picked up something that I, 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 I happen to be taught by another couple in a church, I don't know, forty. Years ago or more, maybe maybe more than that. Um, when our children were really young, um, of course we didn't expect them to, to listen to the, to the hour-long sermons by the preacher the whole time and understand it all. And But we knew that this was the most important hour of the week, and therefore, step by step, we wanted them, line by line, precept by precept, we wanted them to eventually be able to do that. Well, one of the brothers had come up with something, maybe he invented it, maybe he learned it from somewhere else, where well, what he did was he took a piece of paper for each of his children and he, he wrote down, depending on their age, a few of the words that were gonna be from the sermon. And at least one of you does that every week with me. You'll say, Pastor, I need, I need, the, I need the five words, I need the, I need the couple words. And so I'll say, okay, sermon, bear with, Jesus, whatever. And you write those down on a piece of paper, and all you ask your child to do is listen. Now, if they're two or three years old, your goal is for them to listen for five minutes or or some some very discreet period. But as they become five and nine and 12, you want that to lengthen, and you want not just little, oh, 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 okay, I I heard Jesus. Oh, there's the pastor said Jesus again. So he's learning to listen. He's learning to focus. He's learning to concentrate. She's learning to not just let her mind wander everywhere. She's learning to sit still. She's learning that this must really be important because every week, mommy and daddy make me do this. And when I get home, they give me chocolate if I've done it well. (coughs) Or pie. Or chocolate pie. That would be best. That's one way to do it. It's not the only way, you don't ever have to do that, but one way or another, you need to train your children to receive the word of God, that it's valuable, that it's really important, and that the actual content of it, they need, all right? Here's a secondary lesson. And this isn't direct from the text, but I hope you will see that it's plainly related. If we ask the question, you know, why should these brothers bear with the preacher? Why should they bear with him? Well, the answer isn't because preachers have a special right to being tedious and you just have to put up with it. It's because Christ's rule for his entire church is that we bear with one another in love. So what the, what the preacher's doing here is he's taking the rule of love of Christ, to bear with one another, and he's making a specific application. I want you to bear with me in this one thing. But this is a good reminder, and I think it's timely to us as a church, that we remind ourselves from the word of God to bear with one another. Colossians three twelve and thirteen. Put on then, as God's chosen chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians four two says we are to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I especially urge each of us, not each of you, each of us, to bear with each other when we receive exhortations from each other. You know, it's not an easy thing to be charged with sin or a shortcoming. It's not easy when someone perhaps Challenges our motives, no, how, no matter how kindly or gently they do it. It's not easy to be asked to consider if maybe we could have done something better. But I appeal to you. Bear with one another patiently. Listen to each other. Consider what has been said. Don't immediately answer or get angry. Be slow to anger. Be quick to listen. Pray about it. (laughs) Remember the proverb, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, perhaps the friend is mistaken. Not every accusation is true or on target, but brethren, put up with it. It wasn't easy for them to approach you, and they are trying to help, and so their motive is good, and more often than not, there's at least some truth to what they're telling you. And so you and I should reflect upon it, and we should take it to heart. And even if at the end of the day there isn't perfect agreement about it, what do you do? Bear with it. (laughs) Bear with them. Bear with them. Put up with them. They're putting up with you. They're putting up with you. Yes, they are. Let us maintain, brothers and sisters, the unity of the Spirit. You know, I think it is sometimes helpful to be reminded that Jesus does this for us constantly. (laughs) There's a wonderful hymn by John Newton. It's number 262 in our hymn book. I'm just going to read stanzas four and five. Just listen. Could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? That's a question. Think of all of the ways that we test, as it were, the patience of Jesus Christ. Could we bear with each other what he bears from us? Obviously, the answer is no. (laughs) No, no, we, we, we don't do that well, do we? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us, though we treat him thus. Though for good we render ill, he accounts us brethren still. When someone in this congregation harms you, they don't do you right or just. Do you still count him a brother? Do you still love them? Do you overlook it? Do you bear with it? I don't mean you don't address it. There may be other things you need to do. But are you willing to live at peace with them? Oh, for grace our hearts to soften. Ah, that's the answer, isn't it? That's really the answer. <laughs> Teach us, Lord, at length to love. We, alas, forget too often what a friend we have above. Don't look to yourself, look to him. The one who perfectly lives this out and has all power to do this. But when our souls, but when home our souls are brought, we will love you as we are. It's going to get better. One day we won't have to bear with each other at all. We will never sin against each other, and that will be a glorious day. Well, let's move now very quickly through the last uh, points. Uh, the second one is timely news. We've had first this, this call to brotherly forbearance. Now, verse 23, timely news. You, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. The preacher is eager to tell them that Timothy's been released. This almost certainly means released from prison. That's the way the, the verb is normally used in the literature. And the hope is that they both will be able to visit this church. His desire is not only to communicate with them in writing as he has done, but to see them face to face. It, it reminded me of those words from the apostle John in his second epistle. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. He wants to share encouraging and up-to-date news, but he prefers to do that in person, not over email, not over the phone, not over some lesser way. And of course, this is a good example to us. This brings us to our third use this is a reminder that christians should work at open communication sharing life together certainly there are personal things in our lives that are not meant to be shared i understand that but many things in our lives are and so your brothers and sisters can't love you they can't pray for you they can't help you if you aren't open and transparent to an appropriate degree now obviously balance and wisdom are needed here and. I don't intend to take the time to try to flesh that out. But didn't it rejoice your hearts earlier to know that some of the packages had arrived in Cuba? It did mine in a week where smiling wasn't um, the first thought that came to my aching head. I, I grinned big when I saw those pictures. Or that our money has gotten to Ecuador and that all of their debts from COVID are paid now. What a glorious thing what a wonderful thing what good news that's a gospel of a sort aren't we glad in a in a sober way that the Newsoms told us about the death of the family member so that we could mourn with them and pray with them don't ever forget that your true family is your spiritual family Your true family is your spiritual family. That's not cultish, that's scriptural. So share the joys and hopes and concerns with each other so that we can love each other appropriately. A third thing seen here is uh, inclusive friendship. This is verse 24. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Greetings. We noticed before in our study of church leaders that pastors are not to be ignored on the one hand, or the only ones greeted on the other. All the pastors and all the saints are to be known and interacted with. Friendship should characterize all the members of the church. Now, I realize there are always going to be differences. Um, There are gonna be some people who are more drawn to others or have greater opportunities or more things in common. We're not ignoring those things. But in general, you should know all the members of the church. You should be friends with them. You should know how to pray and speak with and encourage and be encouraged by each and every one. If you neglect to say good morning to one brother or one sister, I don't, you know, on on a given Sunday, I don't think that's necessarily a sin. But notice that all those in the church And even those known to them far away are all in a circle of friendship. And the use is very obvious. You should work to have a broad range of friendly relationships in the church. You should work to have a broad range of friendly relationships in the church. Quit sitting with the exact same people every fellowship meal, he said to no one in particular. Bear with me if that's you. Don't only have one family over to visit repeatedly. Do fight self-centeredness. Work on getting to know those who are different from you. And let's at the same time recognize that our spiritual family is all over the earth. We have millions of brothers and sisters. We don't know them all in this life, but the ones that we do know in Cuba, in Ecuador, in Owensboro, in Lookout Mountain, and on and on the list could go. Let's not forget them, but let's continue to greet them, to pray for them, and to support them. So finally, there is here a call uh, for continuing grace. Verse 25, grace be with you all. This is the preacher's prayer for God's blessing of grace to continue with them. I hope you always remember that grace, continuing grace is necessary because none of us have yet been made perfect. We haven't arrived at the celestial city. We're not above temptation. We still are foolish and weak and sinful. What this means is that our friendships are not so strong that they can't unravel. They can. So bear with one another. And to do that, you will need grace. But God has promised continuing grace just for that. So he's writing to a people who have grace, but desperately need more grace. And of course, the uses, again, should be obvious to us first let us pursue gaining more grace through prayer. This is a prayer, let's simply ask God for grace. A wonderful place to ask him for the grace of forbearance is at the table. As we remember our great debt and Christ's great glory and how he bears with us, he's the fountain of all grace. So let's simply ask him for grace. And sixth, and finally by way of usage, continue uh, recognize your need for continuing grace. Why haven't we dissolved as a church? Why hasn't your marriage disintegrated? Why do you still have friends here? I mean, with all the sins, with all the troubles, with all the differences we have, what explains this? It's the grace of God. The answer is the grace of God, And that's the point of this and every other letter. God grants grace from the infinite storehouse of grace that's in his son. So where do you get that? By hearing his word in faith. And we're back to where we started. Hear God's word here. Believe it when he says, grace be with all of you. That is his purpose, his work, his promise to you. Find in him all of the grace you need, and may we abound in our church life together, in our marriages life together, and in our friendships life together. Let's pray.